Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Oh Lord, you are here, and we are here. Lord, may we be conscious of your presence, and may we be here together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your strength, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. We even have folks all the way from Banner Elk, North Carolina. Welcome. It's good to see you, Earl. All right, I'd like to start with a question this morning. This is a little bit of a pew squirmers, like I like to call it. Um, <laughs> when you're fearful or stressed out or feeling overwhelmed by life, um, maybe uncertain about the way things are going to go, uh, which leads you to maybe even question your identity or your purpose or why am I here, what's going on. Maybe you felt like that before. But when you're feeling that way, um, where do you turn? Like, where do you put your focus? Uh, where do you place your trust? Um, where do you turn for peace and comfort? What makes you feel safe and secure? These questions are essentially the questions uh, that Exodus, our reading from Exodus, invites us to consider. Now, I want you to think about this. Everyone knows the story of the golden calf or the golden bull. We've all heard it before. But what leads into this story is these Israelites, they had limited food, limited water. Uh, they were facing the prospect of death. They were anxious that Moses uh, was still on a mountain with God somewhere, right? Uh, so they, his absence made him a little nervous because he was the mediator between God and them. And they were skeptical about his survival on the mountaintop. And so they were scared, restless, and uncertain. Though God freed them from slavery in Egypt, though God led them through the wilderness, fed them with manna from heaven, right? Insured them, promised them, a promised land, right? A land, a home that could be their own. And he made a covenant. God made a covenant with these folks that they were his chosen and set-apart people intended by God to spread his kingdom of love to the entire world. Though God did all of that, they quickly forgot that promise and their purpose and they took matters into their own hands. Fear, doubt, uncertainty will make you do some crazy things. So they ask Aaron to make gods for them. You know, they pull their resources together, their golden earrings, and they create a golden calf, or really a golden bull, a little bull, and it kind of reminds me of the Wall Street, that bronze bull. I love that. I just reach up there and touch that bull. Pray for that bull. Please, bless me, bull, right? Anyhow, they create this golden bull, uh, which was basically a counterfeit god in their own making, right? 
Because the gold, if you remember, was given to them by the Egyptians as a compensation for their enslavement in Egypt. And so, um, and, and it was intended, uh, this gold was intended for building and furnishing the Lord's tabernacle as a home to the Lord's presence with Israel. But the people misuse their gold and they create an idol for themselves. The golden calf, the golden bull, was to serve as a representation of God's presence among them to help them deal with their anxiety. They did not necessarily realize that to make an idol of God was to essentially undermine the truth of God's love for them, underline the truth of God's promises for them, underline the truth of who they were created to be and who God sent them out to do and be in this world. They forgot. It's kind of like amnesia. And as I worked on this sermon all week and thought about this text and discussed it with Father Greg and people around, I realized something. Human beings haven't changed all that much in the past few thousand years. And y'all got really quiet. Yeah, like, see, I told you it was a pew squirmer. No, but I mean, seriously, when we're feeling stressed or fearful and we're not in control or we feel incapable of managing circumstances, when God seems absent or silent or slow, sometimes God doesn't respond or perform like we think God should, right? When this happens, we do the same thing. We often throw our gold at the feet of people, places, and things to kind of create these counterfeit gods that we can um, feel safe and secure in. But they seduce us like false lovers, don't they? And you can name everybody in here can name something, right? What these may be, but you think like work or food, or exercise, or money, substances, people-pleasing, performance, recognition. I am priest, hear me roar. <laughs> Relationships, religion, we do it with religion, we do it with self, and of course, never in the United States, but other countries do it with politics. But all of these are coping mechanisms and numbing agents to soothe our anxiety and help us feel in control. And Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God, your functional Savior. See, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and your self-worth, it is essentially an idol, a counterfeit God. So when such, and here's how you'll know. Here's how you'll know. When your idol gets tinkered with, notice your response. Usually we're very defended and closed off. We get into these attacking modes and all of that. That's how we know that our idols have been tinkered with. And we don't like our idols being tinkered with. Because our idols make us safe and secure. It makes me feel like I'm somebody. I like my idols. 
John Calvin said that the human heart is a factory of idols. I mean, we have a very real tendency to seek and shape gods that we manage and manipulate in order to comfort us. Now, as everybody would agree, we know that these counterfeit gods, they do. They offer us comfort, security, fulfillment, but they ultimately fail us. I had a gentleman come into my office years ago in a different church on a Sunday morning in between services with his wife and shared with me something very heavy and deep, um, an addiction that he was dealing with. And I told him, you know, this isn't your problem. This is your solution. It's just a terrible, terrible solution. In other words, our idols, our counterfeit gods, while they may serve a purpose in our lives, they will ultimately fail us. And it seems that only when our idols fail us are we willing to do anything to change. See, in their fear, in their anxiety, the Israelites took matters into their own hands and they distorted their relationship with God. They distorted, you could say, their worship of God. They traded God's majestic glory for a creature, for a little creature that could be tamed and worked. They traded God for this little golden bull. Makes me wonder. Makes me wonder what I might be willing to trade for God. How about you? The trade was because because they're bad, or they're evil, or they're low lives, or they're no good. The trade was because they forgot. They had amnesia, if you will. They forgot what God had done for them. They forgot God's promises, God's covenant. They forgot that God set them free from a cruel slavery in a foreign land, and that God gave them a new life. They forgot. Say, amnesia will do that to you. And it happens to us as well. We often forget God's goodness. We forget God's promises to us. And so we create idols for ourselves as well. And although it appeared as though God wanted to destroy Israel, it's kind of Moses interceded for him on Right? He interceded for the folks, right? And and anyhow, the bottom line is this. With passionate love, God once again responded graciously and mercifully to these faithless people and their faithless behavior. Because God is love, right? And here's the truth. Y'all are very quiet this morning. We have our own golden bulls. We have our own golden calves, don't we? I mean, it can be anything. It can be, I am a priest. Look at me. I have a theological education. I've had, I know the bishop personally. We're friends. He's laid hands on me. I got a $50,000 plastic collar. I am rector. I got a stole. I got a nice owl that needs to iron. 
I am a rector. And it can become an idol. It can be in between me and God. It can take the place of God. Our liturgy. We do the best liturgy in the world in the Episcopal Church. But it can become our idol. And actually, something we worship instead of God. It can literally get in the way of worshiping God. And here's how you'll know. Tinker with the liturgy. Our temptation is not that we cease to believe in God. It's doubting that God alone is enough and can be trusted. So we throw our gold at idols and we forget the promises of God and who we are and what God has done for us and who God calls us to be. Paul reminds us in the epistle from Romans, excuse me, from Philippians this morning that what we focus on, what we think about, will either add or subtract from our experiences of peace, of wholeness, and community. He says, God is near. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank Him for all that He has done. Don't forget. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace, Paul says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so, that is why we gather here. We gather to celebrate, to give thanks, to remember our redemption, to remember God's promises, to remember what who we are, right? And who Christ is. And to remember that Christ is with us so that we'll never forget, like Moses, that Jesus is the mediator who went up the mountain and pleaded our case with God, who sealed the covenant with God in His own blood so that we may be with God forever. During our Eucharistic prayer, we pray, after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks to them, he said, drink this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. This is essential. The Eucharist, this banquet feast, like our rating in our gospel this morning, this table is God's grand invitation for everyone to come to the party, to never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never forget 
who he is and what he's done for us. The Eucharist is the central act of worship in the Episcopal Church. It's in your prayer book. You can read it. The word for remembrance isn't what the way we often think of remembering. You know, I look out and I'm, oh, I need to, I remember, I need to email Mary, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Or I remember Mary. You remember, you remember Dave, he used to come in here and, right? You remember him? That's not what we're doing. The word for remembrance is a word called anamnesis in the Greek. Y'all know amnesia, like the Israelites, who forgot God and forgot, therefore, who they were and his promises to them. Anamnesis is a little bit, you could almost say, opposite of that. But anamnesis is more than that. It is taking something from the past and making it present in the reality. And so when we say, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he is essentially saying, I am with you. And at that moment, we enter in spiritually into Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. We enter into a divine moment of his last breath, the moment in history when he was crushed for our offenses and he was wounded for our sin. And we kneel in the presence of that divine moment. It's not something that's rote. It is absolutely profound. Because we enter into a specific place in time when Jesus was hanging on the cross, suffocating and suffering both for you and for me. It is the greatest possible witness of love that humanity has ever seen and while he was on that cross the only thing that he could think about was us was you because that's why he did it and how he's enduring all of that just so that he could have a chance to be with us with you Never, ever, ever, never, ever forget. Because as he took his last breath, you were in his thoughts. You were in his heart. I know that sounds like pop psychology, but folks, that is the theology. That is God. Your hopes, your dreams, your fears, your deepest desire, and more importantly, God's dream for you. And nothing is more important, nothing is more intimate, nothing is more powerful, and nothing is more life-changing than that. This is why we do this, so that we never forget. Yeah, you might be able to find God on a mountaintop or on the golf course or all these other things we tell ourselves, but the one place that God will meet you always is in this holy sacrament that he gives us in this bread and this wine. See, Jesus says, this is my blood, right? The new covenant, the new covenant. Do you get that? Do you all know what the new covenant is, by the way? 
The new covenant is literally Christ's promise to bring us into relationship with God. It is something that he did, he desired, he wanted. Just like Moses was sent, right, to the Israelites to free them from the oppression, from the bondage of slavery in their lives, to set them free. Jesus Christ, God sends him to deliver us from the slavery of sin and death. Promise to bring us into relationship with God and to share the fullness of life with us, setting us apart through the writing of God's law on our hearts, not on some stone tablets. And then, get this, just like the Israelites were new people, we too are a new creation. We too are children of God. We are His holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. We are living members of Christ. We are his hands and his feet in this world. All gift, all given, all grace. Never, ever, never, ever, ever, ever forget that. Because our response to this is just to entrust ourselves to him. And to love one another as he has loved us. That's why this gathering, this moment, this sacred outside of time, space, and moment, this table, this banquet meal is so essential. It is an absolute necessity for us so that we will never forget. That we will always remember what God has done for us, who we are, and God's purpose for us. Because folks, when we walk through those doors back there, when we go out that way, there is a world full of idols waiting for us, clamoring for our attention, seducing us with their love, after our hearts, after our devotion. Wanting our gold. So we gather today to remember. To never forget. Not only who God is. But his promises and his claims on our lives. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message. Please subscribe to our podcast. And be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.